our Bible study, we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We've talked about approved are those who are poor in spirit and approved are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, William Sankster tells about hearing, overhearing a conversation of two people on a train. One of the women had recently lost her husband, and she falteringly told the other woman of her grief, and the other woman immediately expressed sympathy. I can feel for you, she said. I recently lost my dog. The fact is she could not feel for her at all because even though a dog is precious and important and we love our dogs, that's not the same as losing our mate, losing our life's companion. And this woman missed the whole point. She didn't feel the kind of sorrow that other lady felt, and she didn't understand it at all. Many of us have never come to that place to mourn as we ought to mourn over our sins and over the needs. We need to be mourning, too, over the needs of the world. Several years ago, when there was one of those big fires in Southern California, it, start, it got to one of the subdivisions of really, really nice homes, and people got out of their homes, and many of them were on a golf course that was a part of the area, and they collected near a, a green where a golfer was still playing golf, and he was about to putt, and people were crying because their houses about a mile away were burning. And finally, he shouted to the lady closest to him and said, would you please be quiet? I'm trying to putt. Well, he was trying to putt. She was trying to, to deal with an issue in her life that was strategically important, not like putting a little white ball into a little hole in the ground. We, we have to see the needs of people to the point where we mourn too. But notice what happens when we do, when we see our sins and, and are really concerned about them and we see the needs of others are really concerned about them. He said they will be comforted. We'll find comfort. And the word comfort here is a very important word. It's a word that describes how God walks along with us and brings us the strength that we need, how he gives us the answer not to all the questions, but the answer to our heart and gives us the peace that passes understanding and the joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. And, and that when we, when we have that, then that makes a, a world of difference in our lives. And it, it brings a tremendous encouragement and a tremendous hope to us as we have it and as we experience it. Morning Christians are comforted by the divine comforter, and then we can comfort others with that same comfort. There's one thing that's more, that, that is far worse than sin, and that's the denial of sin, which makes forgiveness impossible. So if we refuse to acknowledge our sins and be concerned about them, then that's the serious thing. Charles Colson was in one of the leaders of Nixon's presidential group, and he did a lot of things that were wrong, and he, he was sent to prison for it, and but it was during those times after he saw what he was and what he had done that he saw his own poverty of spirit and he mourned over his sins and he asked Jesus to forgive him and come into his life. And then later he built a great prison ministry to help people who have been put in prison and touched many lives. And I heard him speak several times and he always had a great message from God because his life had been radically, radically changed. He had seen the poverty of himself. He had mourned over it and trusted Christ. The Bible says in James 4, 9, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he 
will exalt you. And that's what we're talking about in these days as we're looking at the Beatitudes. Now, the next one is also very, very important. There Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And this one immediately turns a lot of people off until they understand it. And Jesus said, it's impossible for us to really walk with him if we're not weak. If we want to be approved of God, we've got to be meek. And, and the word is gentle. What does he mean by this word, gentle or meek? Well, one thing for sure he doesn't mean that you have to be a spineless, spiritless, weak person. For the greatest Christians that we read about on the pages of God's word or anything, but the Bible says Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. But he wasn't spineless. He stood up for God against unbelievable enemies and even his own people when he had to. He was not spiritless, nor was he weak. He didn't exemplify cowardice or timidity or peace at any price. This word does not suggest indecisiveness or being wishy-washy or having a lack of confidence. There's not some natural ability which some folks have simply because it runs in their family. This is something that the Spirit of, of God wants to give to each one of us who are children of God, who are believers in Christ. And uh, let's look at the word for a minute. It's, it's one of my favorite words in the Greek. And the Greek word means that it's power under control. And it's used with an animal, for example, a wild horse that has been broken and tamed for somebody to ride. Before, nobody could ride it. Now, the little 10-year-old girl can ride it. It's, it's power under control. It's God-tamed. The Hebrew word, which has something of the same significance in the Old Testament, means God-molded. It's the idea, again, of God taking a life, changing that life, molding that life to his control and making it a life that matters. And under his control, there's power but it's directed. It's not just a wild horse. It's a horse who is under control. The black stallion with his muscles rippling and his mane flowing in the wind, there's strength, there's power, but he's under control. The person who's riding him guides him and directs him. One of the great examples of meekness in the Bible is Moses. The Bible says he was the meekest man in all the earth, and God was controlling his life more than anybody else in his day. In Numbers 12, uh, there was a rebellion against him led by his own sister and his own brother. And they were critical of Moses, and they began to say things about him to the people, and the people began to chime in. And they, part of their criticism was due to the fact that, that Moses' first wife, Zipporah, had died, and it was some time later that he had married another wife, and she was a Cushite woman. And indications are that she was not a Semite, as Zipporah had been and all of Moses' descendants were. Therefore, she was from a different background, and some of them were very upset about it, and, and his, his sister was very upset about it. Seems to have been a prejudice against her by, her, by his own family, and, and God saw their criticism of Moses, and, and God gave Miriam leprosy because of it, and, and she, she saw her sins, and finally Moses was the one who prayed for God to deliver her and take the leprosy away, and he did. But you see, he was meek. He was God-controlled. They were not being that way, and there's a difference. We'll pick that up and talk about it some more in our next study.